Good morning. Just want to welcome you here, especially see several visitors. Hopefully you feel at home here as we um, prepare to worship through God's word and um, through, his, through the, 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 the prayer that we're about ready to go to. Um, so the last couple of weeks I've been thinking a little bit about prayer and God's ability to answer prayer. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to Rylan, and he was at. He said, "Yeah, did you see that? Um, some of the servicemen that were killed in um, Afghanistan. This was this would have been that day." And I said, "Yeah, um, eleven of them were Marines at an airfield." I said, "It really was close to my heart, you know, considering some of our experiences the last several years." And we were talking about some other things, and, and he brought up. Um, Rylan brought up that you hear about all the Christians in Afghanistan, and that. Um, with the Taliban taking over, that they'll probably be going door to door and be in executions. And, and he asked me, he said, do they still take prayer requests at, at Cornerstone? And he said, if they do, you should bring that up. And I just thought that, that, that touched me a little bit that he actually specifically requested that. And um, we weren't at church that next Sunday, so was, didn't have that ability, but I guess I have that now. So, but I got to thinking about prayer and God and God's, um, God's ability. So there's nothing new, we all know how powerful God is, but sometimes we need to be reminded. So I want to read a couple pieces of scripture, and I'm going to start off in 2 Kings in chapter 6. Most of us will come out of 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 8. This is a story um, I've always been fascinated with, and I think I've actually used it a time or two in illustrations, but I'm I like it, so I'm going to read it. So, 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to read verses 8 through 23. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host come past the city, both with horsemen and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the words of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, 
Neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were come down into Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw and beheld. And behold, they were in the midst of the Samaria, in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with the sword and with the bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. I think this was an illustration that there is um, sometimes we see situations, especially the last couple of years, that is this just too big for God? And I just I like this illustration because it's not too big for God. Nothing's too big to God. And when we think of the, I just got to you know thinking about these Christians that are being persecuted, possibly those that are being um, executed for their faith. And I wonder if they think is this situation too big for God? And I don't think they do. But this is just it's good to be reminded that God can can take whole armies. Um, like he did in this in this example, and just um, he can make them blind, and if it's and he can, without even taking any blood, take them all captive, and he can um, and here there's there is a warfare going on around us that we don't see, and it's just comforting to know that there are um, that God's in control of all that, and just um, just to bring comfort to that. But it's not just the big things, because I wanted to. It's easy. It's easier for me to say there's nothing too big for God. But sometimes I wonder, is there things that are too small for God? Like, is God too big for some of my own little needs? And, and I wanted to jump back and stay in the Second Kings 6. And let's read the first seven verses. There's another story. I don't know why these are tied together. I don't, they don't seem like they're two stories that are connected, but they're in the same chapter. So let's jump up to verse 1 and, and read verses 1 through 7. And the sons of the prophet said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servant. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down a rope. They cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, and he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore he said, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. That seems like a little small thing. That um, It really wasn't as small as maybe we think it is, because... If this fellow had to borrow an axe, it's probably because he was pretty poor and he probably couldn't repay an axe that he, um, that he lost, that he borrowed. And I don't know what the value would have been to him. I'm sure it would have been way more than an axe because it's probably way more than a chainsaw if I borrowed one today. It would probably be like me borrowing Clem's truck because I needed to haul some wood and drove it into the river. And that would be a lot harder to repay. But and it, There's two lessons there. One thing is even the small things aren't too small for a big God. And also, even for us, we look at that as being a small thing, and it really wasn't to that fellow. And maybe when we look at the situations around us, we see the people that are asking for help, and we're quick to judge that 
they should be able to take care of that because it's a pretty small thing to me, but it's not to them. But And I'm just going to read a couple more verses, and it's a different story. And, um, and I'm not going to read the story because it's long, but we all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Another real big thing that um, God showed how he was bigger. And um, I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to read just, just the middle of it because we know the story that, that King Nebuchadnezzar built this golden idol and commanded the whole the whole world really had needed to worship this idol or they would be cast into, into the furnace and killed and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't and they were brought before the king and I'm just going to read verses 13 through 18 of kind of that, that interaction between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve the do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if be ye ready that at what time ye hear the sounds of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbus, sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver thee out of my hand? Now, it's, it's, it's the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that, that just struck me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hands, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that he will, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And it's verse 17, or no, it's verse, yeah, verse 17. When we pray... God will answer, and um, I like how, but he may not take you out of the fiery furnace, and he may, have even, he may even let you perish in the fiery furnace, but he will deliver you, because I like how they said that if it's his will, he'll deliver us from the furnace, but either way, even if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, he's going to deliver us from you, and that's just what we've got to remember, that God will, um, I don't know. Sometimes it's easy for me because, and it's because of my weak faith that to make my prayers in such a way that I know that it'll come out right because I, so that I can help God answer my prayer, and that's really not the intent. So if you really have a need, there is no need that's too big for God. And if you have a little need, there's no, God is not too big for any need. And so as we go to prayer, I just want to keep that in mind that, um, it doesn't matter, big or small, God is able and God will deliver. So, before we go to prayer, is there any specific prayer requests anyone would like to have?
Okay, so some fellow named Gary has COVID and he's been in the hospital for several days and Ryan's mom is having back pain they don't seem to be able to get control of and the speakers at Women's Retreat. I didn't catch all that, sorry. Cynthia Rissler. Okay. Okay. Continue to pray for Cephas's dad. Okay, we'll just pray for Elijah. All right, let's just come before God in prayer. Lord, we just want to come to you as our Father and just bring before you some prayer requests, and we know that you have promised that you do listen and that you do answer. And um, specifically, it's if we pray in the name of Jesus, I don't know, understand, we don't understand all that, but this, there's special power in that. And just today, in, in just this moment, we just come before you in that power in the name of Jesus and bring for you some specific prayer requests that have been um, mentioned. We know it's not limited to this and you know, and. Um, it's been mentioned this fellow named Gary that's um, in the hospital with COVID. There's been requests for prayer for him, and we request, and our prayer request, God, is that you would bring healing and, and just and, um, a special touch in his heart. And we know that through all these, they are opportunities, God, just to show your might and your power and to draw people to you, because ultimately that is the goal, is that we would that you would be glorified through it and that your kingdom would, would grow and that um, it would just be an opportunity to change someone's heart in their life. Also to lift up Ryan's mom and the back pain that she's been going through and we just pray that she could find relief for that and um, um, that, that, that she would, um, if the doctors or whoever is trying to to help in that would just give them special knowledge and just give them special grace, Lord, to go through that. And also um, lift up the, all the women that are speaking and those that are attending the woman's retreat. Just um, prepare them this next month as they get ready for that. And just, um, you know, your spirit will be alive there. And we just pray that you would um, just help them feel that and to be comforted and encouraged, God, by what you have to say to them. Just pray for this family of John Rissler that um, as they go through all the trauma of losing someone, especially through a fire, just it's really hard to imagine the pain and the, and the um, for both going through that and the, the, the loved ones that are left behind and um, 
again, we know it's another opportunity, God, for you to, to show some grace and to show some, some mighty good that can come out of something that seems so bad. We continue to lift up Cephas' dad and just um, all the sicknesses he's going through. Just um, I don't know what all is he's experiencing, but we know that you are there with him, and we know that he loves you, and that we know that he depends on you as well, and so we just thank you for that, and just pray you would just give him some comfort that he needs, and just lift up this young man, Elijah, um, the request is that you would just be close to him and work in his heart, and I don't, we don't need to know, but we just know that there's a need there, and we just give that to you. And just bless the rest of our day, bless our message, that, um, bless the message that Clem has prepared, and just speak through him, and just help us, Lord, to be open to, to the message and, and the words that you have to speak to us today. So, again, just thank you, God, for being so awesome and so loving, so caring, and that you listen and, and, and that you answer our prayers, and we just love you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and welcome again. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter speaks of faith, what it means to really believe. Perhaps a story you've heard before of what it means to really believe is a story of Blondin. Blondin was a famous French tightrope walker, and in 1894, he strung a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And before thousands of cheering people, he inched his way from the Canadian side to the United States side of the falls. When he arrived to the other side, The people were cheering and chanting his name, Blondin, 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 Blondin. And he responded, I am Blondin. Do you believe in me? They responded, we believe, we believe. Blondin then asked, do you believe that I can go back across the falls 
carrying someone on my shoulders. The crowd cried, we believe, we believe. And Blondin asked, and who will that human being be? The crowd went silent. After a couple of uncomfortable moments, a man came forward. It turned out to be his business manager, and he climbed on Blondin's shoulders and allowed him to carry him back to the other side. The point of the story is blatantly clear. Thousands yelled, I believe. But in the end, only one man really believed. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of faith, and we're going to be here in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 this morning. But it speaks of faith, and in the very first verse it says it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. <clears throat> Do you have faith? Do you have a, <clears throat> excuse me, a truth, a belief in your heart of something that you cannot see, cannot understand? Here in Hebrews 11, it gives us account after account of men and women of God who lived by faith. And they faced difficult times, and they faced these times in life that were like a Niagara Falls. And how are they going to get across? And how do you get across these times in your life? When you face seemingly impossible situations, am I willing to let Jesus carry me across? Do I really believe that He can? Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Noah, he did this crazy thing because of faith. God told him to build a boat. And I feel like that he probably lost a lot of friends. He was probably seen as a conspiracy theorist, or I don't know how others viewed him, but he had to seem... Nuts. And yet, he was willing to do it. And I just feel like that he had doubts at times, perhaps. That, that sometimes it seemed like maybe it really wasn't the right thing to do. And I have to imagine that the people around him tried to tell him that he didn't need to do that. And, and sometimes in life... I may be called to do something, and the advice that I get from my peers may seemingly be that it's not necessary. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to do that. And, and it can be pretty easy to listen to. Do we have faith? Are we living in faith? Out our faith in God? By faith, Abraham... When he was called to go out to a place which he should, not, should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing where he went. This is different than you and I thinking about moving to Colorado or Washington or somewhere out west 
Like, we have the ability to go out there and check it out and then to easily travel and to communicate back with the people that we've left behind. And, and this is a totally different situation. As Abraham left everything behind that he knew and he went out to a place that God was promising, but he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know if he was going to be able to make a living. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he went by faith. <clears throat> Down in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense, the reward. It's pretty easy sometimes to find ourselves like Moses. Moses had everything available to him. <clears throat> he was potentially going to be a ruler. He had all the pleasures of Egypt, it says, pleasures of sin available, and yet he chose to suffer affliction. You know, he could have sat down there by the Nile with his fishing pole and he could have said, all oh, the lines have fallen into me in pleasant places. I find myself with that kind of an attitude sometimes. We're pretty blessed in the natural sense here and, and we can find ourselves maybe in Moses' shoes to a degree where we've got opportunity to live life how we want. But are we willing to choose to suffer with the people of God, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures that this world has to offer? <clears throat> we'll keep moving here. Uh, let's just go read through some of the... the verse 32. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, of Jephthah and David, and also Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Through faith, we can do those very things. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. And, and as Aaron was opening this morning, I had to think about this verse. And that, those in Afghanistan who perhaps are tortured, not accepting deliverance, not going to back down from their faith to live, not going to deny Christ, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. These were people who believed, had faith in Jesus Christ. 
and they didn't see him. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This, is a, these, this doesn't need a chapter break here. This is a continuing on discourse. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know when you run a race or when you swim in a race, you just don't want to have much extra on, do you? You don't want to wear baggy pants and coats, hats. You don't want to carry your cell phone, your wallet, your purse. If you want to be sleek and aerodynamic, you want to be able to run with endurance, with perseverance. You want to be efficient. And so you shed as much as you can when you're going to race. I see the writer of Hebrews saying that in the same way we do that in a physical race, so it is in our spiritual race of life, journey of life. He says, lay aside every weight, and he differentiates between weight and sin here, and the sin that does so easily beset us, and run with patience. So what are some things that maybe, maybe you don't call them sin? Maybe you don't see them as sin, but, but they're weights in our spiritual walk. What is holding you back? What is dragging you down? What is wearing you out in this journey of life? Some of you might be able to think of some things right now. Lord puts on your, on, in your mind, in your heart, maybe already has. You've been thinking about them. And if, if you're not grasping what weights might be in your life, I just encourage you to pray and to ask God. Because I think that we've all got things that are just hindering our walk. And they're, they're, they're weighing us down. I mean, I think about the, the videos that we watch, the music that we listen to over and over again, the apps that we spend time on. These are things that so many of them are maybe not sinful of themselves, and yet they can be a weight. I know in my life, I just believe technology can be a great weight, and I've been convicted of that. This recently, I've I've deleted a bunch of apps off my phone because what started as something that um, was used in moderation began to be something that I was constantly distracted by, and I've realized that they were weights. And now I pick up my phone, and there's really not much to look at on it. I don't have a text message, so I put it down and I can do something with my children. I put it down, I can have a conversation with my wife. Put it down, I have time to pray. Weights. 
Did you come hungry for God this morning? So many times I've come somewhat satisfied. And I don't see this here as a privilege, but more as a habit. We must be hungry for God, and if we're not, what's, what is it that's, that's filling us, that's keeping us from having that hunger? So let's lay aside the weight, and then it says the sin. Lay aside the sin. There are times that I have sin in my life, and I know it. And I know that it's time to lay it aside. I know that that frustration and that guilt and that shame is, is dragging me down. It's crippling me. And we'll talk about that more perhaps at the end. But it's time to get serious because time is short. And if we're going to persevere to the end, it won't be by dragging our sin along with us. He says to run with patience. Running with patience speaks of running at a pace that allows you to endure to the end, to finish the race. It also speaks of running in a way that you're not making hasty decisions throughout the race, that you make a, the wrong decision when you get to obstacles. <clears throat> Back in the end of July, I ran a 5K. It was the first 5K I'd ever run. And it wasn't just any 5K. It was kind of a tough mutter type of a 5K. It was called the gauntlet. And it had obstacles, and it had mud pits, and it had ropes and swings and, and hills and just all kinds of things. You see, the, the original plan was for the children to run in the children's portion of that race, which is a shortened race that's a lot of fun for the children. But we got over there on Saturday morning, and found out that the age limit was 12 for the children's race. And so Andre and Pierre wouldn't have been able to run it. So Pierre was pretty set on running this race. So I said I'd run it with him. And Andre said he'd run as well. And so we signed up, went home, we dressed for the race. We went back over there and we were in, they, they set off waves every 15 minutes. And we were there gathered, ready to go, and we were at the very back of our group of people that were taking off. And the, the guns sounded, and we took off. And I told the boys, I said, we got to just, we got to run at a steady pace. We can't run too fast too soon, or we're going to wear out before the end. And so I tried to hold them back there for a little bit, because it's pretty tempting to try to get to the front of that pack. But it didn't take long until we did pass up, and we're leading uh, the group, and, and we just set a pretty good pace there and uh, till we got to the pond that you had to swim across. And so we get to this pond, and they've got ropes that you're supposed to swim between, and I suppose if you can't swim, you can go run through the shallow end or something. But uh, we got there, and we uh, start swimming through the pond, and, and I realize I'm a little taller than most, but I could actually touch even there where you're supposed to swim across. And so what I did was I just went like this, and I was pushing myself and my feet through that pond. And that worked pretty good. I don't think anybody really noticed. 
I thought about this story that Kierkegaard tells about a boy in a swimming pool trying to impress his father by pretending he knows how to swim. He splashes and kicks the water with one foot and he yells to his father, Look, look, I'm swimming. He splashes with his arms and kicks with one leg, but he isn't swimming because all the time he's holding on to the bottom of the pool with his big toe of his other foot. I thought about how many times we call out to those around us, look, look, I'm a Christian. When I'm not really ready to let go of the world. Not really totally committing myself. And just like that boy, for him to be able to swim, he had to totally surrender to the water. So for us to be a Christian, we've got to totally surrender to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're getting along with having your big toe on the bottom of the pool and you got some people fooled. But, but ultimately, the water is rising. The days that we live in are getting short. And the water's rising. And there's going to be a time when you're not going to be able to touch. Will you be able to swim? Now is the time to ad- admit to those around us that I can't swim to ask for advice, to ask for help, to tell our Father, I need you to teach me how to swim through this time. We need each other. Well, we got through the pond, and it didn't take long before Pierre's pace was a little quicker than me and Andre's, and he started pulling ahead. And he was pulling ahead. And sometimes we could see him and sometimes we couldn't and we crossed the halfway point of the race and we weren't seeing him. But we were looking for him where we had saw him last and we were following along right where he had went. And it wasn't long and I, was, I told Andre, I said, well, I haven't saw any of those red tape markers that mark the path for a little bit. I said, have you? And he said, I don't know. And we kept going, and I was unsure. I mean, we were on a very clear path. It was actually a real nice, nice path. And we kept going a little bit, and I saw someone up ahead. And we got to this woman, and she said, you want to go this way, go left. And it didn't seem right. And I realized that that was the path we'd already been on. And I said, are you sure And she said, yes, everyone's supposed to go this way. And I said, I think we've already been that way. She said, well, I think it just goes down here a little bit, and then it turns back, and you'll be on the right place. And then I realized, like, we weren't very far from the starting line. And I I couldn't go. I just, it didn't feel right. And, but Pierre, I didn't know where Pierre was, if he was on the right path or if he had listened to this woman and went that way. There was no way for me to catch him. He was ahead. Um, I said, so have a lot of people went this way? And she says, well, I just got here, but everyone's supposed to go this way. Yeah, I knew I couldn't trust her then. And so I asked her, I said, has anyone went this way? She said, well, there was a couple people that went this way. And so I was afraid for Pierre that he was one of those people. And, but I, you know, Here's something in life. Don't be afraid to put it in reverse when you've gotten off 
to the right path. I remember something my grandma told me. I used to go down when I was a boy and I'd play games with her. And I really enjoyed those times, and she did too, but she got older, she got Parkinson's, and she, was just, she wasn't able to play the games any longer. And I'd go down, and I'd sit in the chair, and I'd rock back and forth, and back, I, it just bugged her to no end, because I just do that. I don't sit still. And she just said, can't you sit still? And I said, well, I just, I just can't. I try for a little bit. And, but, but we had some great talks. And this, this one I'm thinking of, I was 21, and I... Uh, I just got married not too long before that, and um, my wife and I realized at that time that the church that we were in wasn't the place for us to raise a family. It wasn't where we belonged. My grandpa was the elder of that church, and I was talking to Grandma about that, about our decision that we were going to go somewhere else, and she said, she blessed me, she encouraged me, but she said these words that I never forget. She says, I don't know where the Lord will take you, but just don't be too proud to come back. And maybe it's not about going back to a church that you've been to before, but there's many opportunities in life. Don't be too proud to go back, to go back and apologize, to go back and ask for forgiveness, to go back and say, I I was wrong and ask for advice. Sometimes it's hard to back up. And sometimes in our families and in, in lifestyle and in, in the decisions that we make in life, it can be really hard. But don't be too proud to go back. Sometimes, be, be careful who you're listening to. I mean, that woman was there. And she was, these people were on the, the they were on the trail throughout to give direction to encourage and to help if anyone was hurt. That's why they were there. But they had had a changing of the guard, and she didn't know what was going on. And sometimes we can come into situations in life, and, and, we're, and there's someone in our life for whatever reason, and they've got the answer. They, they know what we should do, and, and we need to be careful. And when we're seeking advice and wisdom, that we're, that we're getting it from someone who's been there. From someone who's experienced this. From someone who cares. But the reason that I had ever ended up in that place to potentially be deceived, be led astray, was because I hadn't been following the tape along the path. I hadn't been following Jesus, as verse 2 says. says, looking unto Jesus. And we must... In this journey of life, have our eyes fixed on Jesus. There are people ahead of us in life that, that, that um, are great examples and that we can follow, but, but we couldn't even see him anymore, and, and we were following the wrong thing. So we backed up. We went the other way. Um, we just turned around went back for a ways. I didn't know where Pierre was, but I just had to trust that he would find his way, that he would... Find someone who would direct him in the right way if he was off of the wrong way. And uh, we turned around and we saw then after a little bit, we saw some people over through the woods a little ways. And so we kind of cut through the woods and got over there and got back on the, on the path. But we were behind the people that we were in, ahead of. And so we, we kept going and we kept looking for Pierre and, 
we passed a lot of the people, but there was a young man in our group that was ahead of us a ways, and we just couldn't quite catch him for quite a while. But we got through a lot of the obstacles. We ran across the rope swing. I fell into the big old pit of green water, and I was just green. And we'd run up, hedge up, or run. Just before the finish line, a couple hundred feet, we were able to pass that man. And Andre just crossed that finish line, and I was right behind him. And, and we made it. I looked around for Pierre, and I couldn't see him anywhere. I went to the food and drink area, and I didn't see him there. And I went to the restrooms and the registration table, and I didn't see him. And I, I was pretty sure that he had listened to the advice of that lady. Pierre ran a 7.5K that day, not a 5K. And he came across that finish line a while later. And he beat some of the people that were in the group that only ran a 5K. He still came across ahead of them. But you know, Pierre thought he was in first the entire time. No one had passed him. I suppose one lesson we can draw from that is we can't run alone. We need each other. And when we get out ahead of the pack or we think we're ahead of the pack, that can be a dangerous place to be. Especially... If we, we're not looking unto Jesus, well, that was, that was a pretty fun time. Pierre got his exercise. The, the, the thing about this journey of life is it's not about being first. Kind of like that race. It, it's really not. It's about the experience. The, most of the people who run that gauntlet are, are just there for the experience. Um, and to, to see if they can finish. They want to finish the race. And in this race of life, we could read in Psalms 23. Um, you know, that, that speaks of kind of a patient race. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, there are times when we can, this can be a restful, there's periods of rest on this race. And and there's periods of intensity. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Again, we're not climbing on Blondin's shoulders, but we're putting our faith and our trust in Jesus to take us through these valleys. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This isn't just about getting to heaven. It's about a journey in life. The Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I, I didn't read, I guess, all of verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, 
the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In verse 1, he called us to lay aside the sin. And here in verse sin, he continues to speak of striving against sin. He says, you've not resisted in the blood. And I guess I hear that as saying, you have not really fought this fight in the way that you should. Have we resisted? I, I thought about this as in the opening. You know, as you talked about maybe a strategic prayer to help God answer it for us. And, and how sometimes we don't really lay it out to God. Just 100%. We hold back. We don't really... I think I, I don't always draw the battle line. And I don't always practice this radical amputation that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Because of pride, because of discomfort, because like Noah, when I'm called like Noah, I, I don't want to look foolish in front of my friends. So I, my, I don't really build the boat, or I try to hide the boat, or I, I don't know what we do. But there's times when <clears throat> we haven't really fought like Moses in Egypt, enjoying those pleasures enough to not want to give them up, not being willing to give them up and to esteem the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, I find myself still here at times shrinking back from fully resisting sin. And ultimately, this shedding, this shedding of weight and sin comes, as we heard in the, the opening, Sunday school opening perhaps, of, of having our eyes on Jesus. And going deeper with God. And as we seek Him with all of our heart, we will shed this weight. So am I willing to change my lifestyle and be a Noah? Am I willing to delete apps or whatever the pleasure might be in my life and be a Moses. Maybe it's something else for you. These are just some, some things, I suppose, on my heart this morning. And I'm not saying that all of us 
are there, but I think that all of us, some of us need to consider this because the water is rising. The water is rising. Can you swim? Have you fully surrendered to Christ? God help us. It's not easy to resist sin in the way that verse 4 speaks of, but it's vital. So some questions for myself that all of us could ask this morning. Am I satisfied? Am I satisfied with where I am spiritually? If everyone in your church was where you were at, Would that be a good thing? When I think about the way I treated my spouse, treated my children, treated my boss, when I think about the way that I've responded to difficult situations, when I think about my purity, when I think about my anger, when I think about my priorities on what I have actually been living this week, when I think about my secrets, when I think about my relationship with God, what would church be like if everyone was like me spiritually? I just want to call us to go deeper with God. To fix our eyes upon Jesus. To run this race with patience. To lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset. And run with patience. To strive against sin by doing whatever it takes. May God help us. Let's have a song.